Welcome to episode 173 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. What's going on, Andrew? Not too much, as usual. Excellent. Uh, Standard so can entrance over. It Why is. Uh, no pedantic corrections. We'll skip over that part. Not because we'll we weren't wrong, any. just because nobody corrected us. That's right. Um, so, really, the only news going on is uh, Bill Simpson passed away on Monday, December 16th. Yes, two days prior uh, to recording this. Yep, and it was from complications of a stroke. He was like 79, I believe. Correct. And, you know, looking at it, off the top of my head, there are two people can we think of when it comes to racing safety as Bill Simpson and Jackie Stewart. Stewart or Stewart? I can't. Stewart. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, of early. Yeah, there's a lot of people that were instrumental in racing safety over the years, but those are two of the biggest, uh, most outspoken names, I would say. Right. Um, and then, like, you know, pretty much early pioneers of racing safety. Yeah. Before, outspoken. It, was before it was considered cool. Yeah really outspoken um, for the time that they were in. And, but the, whereas like Stuart uh, was more like promoting practices for safety. Mm-hmm. Simpson actually developed products um, and he didn't invent Nomex, but Nomex is probably, I didn't look this up. I'm, assu- I'm assuming it's probably a DuPont product. It sounds like it. I'm not sure exactly who invented it, but I know that he yeah. adopted it. For racing. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a fireproof fireproof material and you decided to use it in racing suits. Yes. Which is still the standard to, to the day. Yeah. It's it hasn't changed yeah. since the sixties. Which is pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the design of them has changed, but well, the material the basic, the basic material, material is the same. Yeah. Um and then what we also missed was I didn't realize in February of this this year, 2019, Robert Hubbard, Dr. Robert Hubbard passed away. He invented or developed the Hans device. Oh, really? Yep. And that became mandatory equipment after Dale Earnhardt's death in 2001. Yeah, because it existed before uh, Dale Earnhardt's death, correct? Yeah, it was sort of in the early stages. A lot of people were like, yeah, whatever. Not a thing we need. Um, it was like real, real early. And then Bill Simpson actually received death threats after Earnhardt was killed uh, because NASCAR concluded that one of the Simpson-made harness belts had failed. Right. Of course, famously, Dale Earnhardt only wore open-face helmets and obviously wasn't wearing Hans device. And it's well understood that from having the open-face helmet and then he kind of submarined into the steering wheel and the head trauma is what killed him. Right. On top of uh, on top of that, it's not you know obviously NASCAR fans are a pretty rabid bunch like they're very right they're very intense, um, but it's not like Mr. Simpson actually handmade that harness that you know Dale Earnhardt was wearing. So you're the amount of lives that Simpson's product has saved over the years is innumerable compared to one that could possibly be partially to blame, even though it probably wasn't really to blame no so, but just uh, typical we'll, nascar we'll, fans 
Yeah. What, I mean, what is the blame is that racing is just super dangerous. Yeah. And, well, I'll never forget even accident. yeah when he passed away, Sterling Marlin, the other driver involved in that accident, was receiving death threats. Like, you know, some of these yeah. people, Dale Earnhardt was more than just a a race car driver for some reason. He was, you know, he, he was he was life. <laughs> You know, it's the, so I guess the, the do it for uh, Dale joke still exists to this day, you know? Yeah. So I guess Simpson actually sued NASCAR for defamation and then he ended up resigning from Simpson racing products. Oh, really? And I didn't know this. He started, he started impact racing. Oh, okay. I'm familiar with their product yeah. for sure. I didn't know that was yeah. his as well. Yeah. That's interesting. I know he was, but, uh, he was so pro his products that he would actually wear them in practical tests to show people. Like he would wear a fire suit and light it on fire. He would, you know, do all these practical things because he's like, man, I believe so highly in my products. This is what I'm going to do. So not a lot of company owners are going to go ahead and do that. Well, he did that at an Indy 500 in the late 70s. Okay. And was like he uh, in front of all the Indy drivers, you know, as a demonstration, like not in a car, but just like sitting in the open Yep. had himself lit on fire and then that's when everybody was like oh okay so this really works so we should probably start using it because the thing with indie cars is uh they use they run on methanol or ethanol it's, they run on alcohol yeah, yeah some kind of it, alcohol. but it burns it burns clear so like you won't even it's hard to tell that a guy is even on fire um if he's in a wreck because you can't see the flames I remember hearing about this. So like, even if like, it might not seem like you're on fire, but if you wreck an indie car and you manage to get out, like they'll usually just hit you with a, a fire extinguisher anyways. They just kind of assume that you're on fire or maybe it's, it's like they use water. Water works really well with uh, alcohol, something like that. Um, Stop, drop and roll. Yeah, basically. Um, but of course, you know, racing is still, dangerous uh but because of those three guys you know the risk of death or injury has been reduced quite a bit um which can be better for worse sometimes because i think people still get complacent and forget how dangerous motorsports is yeah, even at even at amateur levels yeah you know you'll see people I, I, at a, a, a autocross event that don't think about that kind of stuff they don't think about the fact that yeah you're doing something in a controlled environment but at the end of the day your car could roll over you know it's not right you could slide out of control and hit somebody or something. It's not, there's no safe racing anywhere. It's not something that's, you can, you can take a risk out of something, but there's still going to be an understood risk, no matter how safe you try to make it. Yeah. At minimum, it's an assumed risk and you wear the appropriate gear to protect you. You you do the, it's like riding a motorcycle, you know, it's, it's like any sport, you know, racing is dangerous, but so is football. So is baseball. You know, if you look back in the same history along the same kind of timeline that you watch racing equipment get that much safer year after year after year and more, um, some of the early people would say, you know, uh, in the way of what you're doing, you know, football gears on the same thing. You used to play football in, you know, no helmets and then they had leather caps and then they had helmets with one bar of no bars and they had helmets with one bar across the face. And, you know, now they look like hockey goalies, but... (laughs) It's one of those things that every year in every single sport, people try to make things safer and every sport has its Bill Simpson, you know, just Bill Simpson was the safety guy for racing. 
I mean, yeah, when you look at the hockey, I don't think they wore helmets till like the 90s. Yeah. And yeah, even then, guys, was, some guys now don't even wear. Yeah, some guys now don't even wear face masks still. Yeah. Yep. So it's the same Which thing. Pretty it's, crazy. It's, it's an assumed risk. And everybody, you know, singles out NASCAR or indie racing or, or motorsports in general as being as being dangerous when, I mean, anytime you're participating in any kind of sporting event, there's danger to be had. You know, it's not. None of them are without their own assumed risks, some higher than others, but there's always a risk of injury or death no matter what. So I'm surprised they haven't made uh, baseball pitchers wear some sort of mask yet. Because there's been quite a few times where a ball goes right uh, back at him. Yeah, the, the, the ball goes right back at him. And it's pretty, pretty bad injury when they get hit in the face if they're not yeah. fast enough to catch it. Yeah. But that's not for us to say. <laughs> so no. <laughs> No, uh, yep. speaking of that too, it took a while for to get batting helmets. Yep, especially with the the, the uh, side protection in your temple. That was a long time coming. Yep. The side protection well. is the side protection is still uh, fairly fairly new as being mandatory, and actually, you're seeing a lot of players now have the one that comes down around their chin, just to protect you know the side that faces the faces the pitcher. So mm-hmm. it's definitely, it's, again, it's it's every sport. It's there's an understood risk and you do your best to eliminate those risks, but at the end of the day, you can't, you can't protect from everything. There's always going to be that. What if uh, that, that this could happen no matter what you do, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, um, driving a vintage car, you know, you're, you're getting in the car and you're not expecting to crash, but you know what, if you do, you're not sitting in a 2019 Camry with 15 airbags, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, if we just worried about risk all the time, life would be boring anyway. So I'm glad there are people that try to make things better and improve things and, you know, help people still enjoy the, the things they want. So maybe that's the, the final word on Bill Simpson. Like, you know, thanks for everything he did. And just got to remember him for all the improvements that he made in the sports. Well, you got to figure before Nomex came along, your only option was like wool. Yeah. Because wool is naturally flame retardant. Well, you, you can look back to stuff from not even too long before, you know, the Simpson era, you know, in the in the 60s and even to the mid 60s, you'd see NASCAR drivers and, you know, T-shirts. Yeah. Just they get yeah, in the car. Shirt, and, yeah. Khakis. Yeah, there was no there was no safety equipment. It was just get in the car and drive it. Hopefully. Yeah. And I don't I don't even know what the. We should look up the. The genesis of the helmets that they had, because they kind of look like what polo helmets look like today. And I have to wonder if they just like just grabbed them from that. Even if they had polo helmets back then, I don't know. But when uh, you look at a, picture a lot of a lot of early racing helmets were derived from other sports. They were like a, a football helmet or a lacrosse helmet or something like that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The little didn't Simpson that? also do. Um, football helmets for a while. Maybe I'm not sure. I think, actually, I think, he, I think he did. I haven't looked into it for a while, but I think there was a time in the Simpson history where he went to a game and uh, he watched a guy get hit in the head, and he's like, "I'm going to make these better." So I think he oh. actually was instrumental in that sport too, because he was already creating race car helmets, and he took some of that same technology to football helmets. I'm going to try to quietly look that up without being too obvious. I'm thinking here. of the. I'm thinking of like the white 
helmet with the little visor and the ear flaps. That's like really common to see when you see old pictures of like racers yeah, from like the thirties, forties, fifties, like the auto week magazine logo. Exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yes, actually Bill Simpson did create, um, NFL helmets for a while. I don't see anything but years, but he partnered up with Chip Ganassi and uh, hmm. they did Gna- Simpson Ganassi helmets for football. Yeah, he was he was at a Colts game and he watched a player get hit in the head. So he designed a, Interesting. a football helmet too. I knew there was something about that. Yeah, I didn't, they, they didn't mention any of that in the obituaries. Yeah. I remember hearing something about it probably when it happened. Um, I'm assuming it was probably sometime in the 80s, early 90s, if Ganassi was involved. Hmm. But I remember hearing it, but I didn't know a ton about it. So there's not a ton of information about it on that particular page. Just a, it's like an also ran on a Wikipedia entry about him. Yeah, weird. Well, yeah, that was pretty notable. Uh, I also read today about the RPM Act that is going through Congress. Okay. Um, so... It is called the House Resolution 5434 for the Recognization of the Protection of Motorsports, RPM Act of 2019. Um, so it's bipartisan. It's They want to amend the Clean Air Act to provide an exemption um, from certain anti-tampering positions for certain actions for modifying a motor vehicle that is not legal for operation on the street or highway has to be used solely for competition and other purposes. Apparently, building race cars is still illegal. Just nobody prosecutes for it. Uh, it's illegal in the eyes of the APA. So this bill wants to eliminate that gray area so that people who build race cars go racing. It's if, if the government ever wanted to crack down on them, they can't. So I didn't realize this was a thing, but I was reading about it today, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't, didn't hear about that. So how define illegal? So it's illegal to defeat like a even if you're build yeah, even if you're building a car for off-road use, okay. Say a racetrack, you are still legally not supposed to remove emissions equipment. Huh. I thought I'd heard something about that recently where they were trying to make it so you couldn't build race cars and that got shut down by the SEMA lobby. Yep. So the SEMA lobby is also working on this. They support it. Um, it makes a lot of sense uh, because, you know, really realistically, the amount of race cars there are using fuel and uh, creating emissions is probably far less than, say, like all the goods being shipped overseas on giant container ships wow, or a, all the airplanes a, in the area. That's a whole other argument for a whole other day, but car emissions versus everything else in the world. But that's certainly a, uh, a true, a true statement. There's probably the percentage of race cars versus everything else is negligible for sure. So, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm, I'm not to throw a two off topic here, but I'm going back looking at information about the Simpson helmets, the football helmets. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a recent thing. It's a currently in process thing. Hmm. Uh, I'm reading an article here about it from last year um, where they have all these tests that the Simpson Ganassi helmets are safer than the currently used NFL helmets. Um, But the NFL hasn't allowed them to be used yet. 
So yeah, that sounds about right for the NFL. They're, yeah, they're in production. A lot of high schools and colleges use them, but they won't allow NFL won't allow them to be used yet. So they're not there yet. And there's a lot of bunch of quotes here from Bill Simpson because obviously, you know, he was still involved with it last year. So it's a it's a current thing going on right now that there is a point zero zero seven nine concussion percentage with his helmets, which is like half of what the other helmets are. So that's interesting too. But NFL hasn't allowed them yet. So I don't know if they need more testing or if it's a sponsorship deal or who knows what it is. Could be that they buy all their helmets from Nike or Reebok or somebody and they just have a deal. So, but nonetheless, they're currently not allowed to be used in the NFL. So I wonder if that's something that will change in the future, especially where the NFL, as of this year, seems a lot more focused on safety than it has been in the past. Right. They're a lot more, you know, aware of. CTE and concussion protocol and all that stuff seems to be a much bigger issue as of recent than it was even in even in not so distant history. So, well, when you've got really significant players to the game retiring, saying that they simply can't do it anymore because they're worried about their health and their mental health, like uh, it's stuff that they got to do, right? They're losing, you're losing viewership possibly because those people aren't playing anymore. Right. Um, you know, the game suffers because you don't have really great players. Yeah. I mean, you're losing some great players, but, you know, there's always new players coming up. But you know what I mean? And then you have some high profile CTE cases, too, like the, you know, the Aaron Hernandez's of the world that, you know, they did a scan of his brain and it was significantly damaged and he caused, you know, all all these crimes, you know, it's like could have, yeah, been, maybe. Could have been caused by the CTE. Who knows? I'm thinking of uh, what was the other Patriots player that killed himself? Oh, I don't know his name. I know you're talking about. Yeah, but, but even like, and that, that that even goes to what's his name, the BMX kid that ran for rally for a while, Dave Mira, right? Yep, he was the same yep. kind of thing. So, anyway, yep. interesting interesting fact about Simpson helmets. I didn't know they were a current a current thing. I knew I'd heard it somewhere, but that's probably why there's not a ton of information yet because they're still a fairly new company. Mm-hmm. All right. So in less depressing news than CTE and head injuries. Right. Um, Wear your helmets, kids. Yeah. Can you believe that Gran Turismo 2 came out in uh, on December 23rd, 1999? I cannot. 20 years ago. I, but I can hear my favorite game playing in the back of my head already. Right. Just thinking about it. Such a good intro. Yeah. And. Yeah, what a what a life changing game that was for us, and I'm sure well, for a lot of people. The first game was really really good, and yep. that came out in like ninety seven spring of no, it was like ninety eight at least in the U.S. I remember getting it in ninety eight, and that that was what was cool that GT two came out so quickly as a sequel, because uh, it didn't seem like they changed much. They kind of based it on it. And then, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of um, graphic improvement though. There was for a PS one game because it was very late in the PS one life cycle. Yep, because you had um, PS two came out in like two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, Gran Turismo the first one was December twenty third ninety seven, so that was almost ninety eight. Yeah, um, but you and I spent. So, so many hours racing that game. Um, 
Like, I, I shudder to think about how many it was. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just a crazy, crazy amount of hours. And that was also funny that it, it came out like just in time, just in time for Christmas in the U.S. Yeah, like because uh, I think I got it for Christmas. I don't remember. Maybe I bought it early, a couple days early. Who knows? I don't remember. I think it was twenty years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember specifically either, but. I remember, I remember when I got GT three, but I don't remember when I got GT two, right? But and I believe, a, if I'm remembering correctly, the big thing about this game was that you could change the wheels. Was that three or two? I think that was two, because I know the because, first couple of games they didn't have a lot of modifications that you were, that were visual. They had the full race mod. So three came out for PS two, so. Two, I remember you could change the wheels in. Yep. Um, and it had rallying, which was like, yeah, okay. Um, Pike's Peak was in there. That was like super hard. Uh, Laguna Seco was like one of the first real tracks. I can't remember any other real tracks. From GT2? Yeah. I feel like it was just Laguna Seca. Then you had, they added, I believe, Seattle. That was a fun track. Um, of course we had our favorite trial mountain and then I know you used to run Seattle a lot and Rome at night was really good. It was SSR 11, I think was in that game, wasn't it? I think so. Um, and we run Laguna Seca all the time. And then, um, I remember like it was, so it was before now, like if you play Forza or the newer Gran Turismo's, they have like the performance index when you modify a car and you okay. can modify cars. That, what's that? I'm, lo- I'm looking at a track list right now from Gran Turismo 2. Okay. Um, so the ones that we did all the time, we used to yep. run Seattle. Okay. Uh, Laguna Sega. Um, right. My personal favorite was Trial Mountain. Yeah. Uh, special stage route five was the nighttime course. That we did a lot too. Right. So those were, those are probably our main tracks that we raced all the time. It was apricot Hill, um, Rome, as you said, autumn ring, autumn ring, mini deep, Apricot, for, deep forest. Hill? Yeah. Oh yeah. Deep forest was good. Apricot Hill. Yep. Man. What is the one that I'm thinking of in Forza then that's very similar to apricot Hill. Man, I'm blanking. Yeah, it's. I know uh, what you're talking about. It was supposed to be reminiscent of Lime Rock before they had licensing for it. Oh my gosh, it, it's like I thought that was called Apricot Hill when you said that, but it's definitely not. It's no, definitely Apricot in, Hill is definitely the one from. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of what it is now, but I'm sure there's a track list somewhere. But, but yeah, anyway, I you could definitely you could definitely change wheels. Um, it was Maple, like, Maple, Maple Valley. That's what yeah, it is. Apricot Hill, yeah. like Maple Valley. Ap- Apricot Hill, Maple, Maple yeah. Valley, very yeah. similar. Yeah. But you could definitely change wheels, and then we would just fully build cars, and then without doing the race modification. Yep. Because they weren't, you started talking about class, we had to, classing, like A, B, C, D, and E. I think that's when that really came out too, right? No, I don't think they had it. 
I don't remember okay. him having it. I think we had to just we just would fully build them, and certain cars would just plateau at like whatever power level yeah. they had. Like a an S two thousand. I remember I had an S two thousand. It was really fun, and that would just be like it was like a three hundred fifty horsepower car or something, and that was it. Yeah. And then you had like a second gen RX seven turbo, and it ended up being right around the same power level. And those two yeah. cars would battle really well. Yeah, we we had the pairings that we always would run together. Yeah. They were like, we just run the RX-7 and the S2000 and the third gen RX-7 and the Nissan Silvia. And there was always like right. just these pairings of cars that we ran all the time. Yeah. But I mean, those are the games that really cemented us as uh, import car enthusiasts. Exactly. Right time, right because place. Because before that, we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have the, um, I would say... Uh, exposure as much to the import car stuff. No, 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 you know, no. It was right at the time that like Fast and the Furious was starting to become big and all those dumb things that we didn't like, you know, body kits were still huge, um, literally and figuratively. Fast and the um, Furious was two years away at that point. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It was, it was starting to become that era of things. Like, th- so the other people's exposure to import car culture was different than somebody who played Gran Turismo. But it- somebody who was exposed to import car culture through the fast and the furious through, you know, super street through nopey through all those things was not going to have the same taste as somebody who was introduced to it through Gran Turismo. Yeah. But Gran Turismo aligned with the taste that we had from reading sport compact car, which was that OEM plus, you know, look, you know, go faster, suck mentality. Yep. Where it was like the car, Looked cool because it had nice wheels and was lowered, but it also had a lot of performance right. underneath, and it wasn't all body kit. I mean, Sport Compact Car had some questionable stuff in it at the time too. They had some of the some of the body kit cars and some of the bad wheel cars, and mm-hmm. there was some. There was it wasn't it wasn't all roses looking back on it. I've seen some issues that I'm like, ugh, <laughs> gross. Yeah, but it was pretty I can good. see why my father made fun of me. Why my father made fun of me for reading this, <laughs> but. At the time, you didn't really realize that, and obviously, we never got into that whole no, no. Um, tu- tu- tuner scene, nopey scene, hot import night scene because it just wasn't our thing. I, I think a lot of the what what built our taste over the years was we were raised around muscle cars and hot rods and street rods, and um, just that whole culture of that, and then getting into some of the same tastes there with imported cars. So it just kind of made a different exposure to us. So we didn't ever, never got into that stuff like that. But I, I definitely, I credit Gran Turismo with a lot of my weird car knowledge for sure. Yep. A lot of my weird Japanese car knowledge, especially. Then the other thing I, who else knew what Sylvia was. <laughs> the other thing I remember from this game was um, the DualShock controller. That was like a big yep. thing. Because it went yep. from your normal PlayStation controllers, which were kind of small, and then they added these analog sticks, and then um, they ended up using. Uh, oh, they didn't come out with analog buttons till I think the second version of it, but I think yeah, because I remember we like it made steering the game easier because otherwise you had to like tap tap on the D pad. 
because it was it was just a digital button, you know, it would just go like all the way. Yeah, I remember I remember I remember the phrase tapa tapa. Yeah. We said all the time because you got a steering wheel and I was like, I'm just content to tap a tap of the buttons all day. Yeah. And then the, um, you know, like X button, I don't think it was, yeah, it wasn't analog yet. So like you had to like tap the X button, like if you're in a full drift in the car and GT3, you had to like tap the X button because you couldn't like just plant it. Yep. Yeah, because it was an all or nothing button. It was an on off switch. It wasn't right. uh, it wasn't proportional at all. Yeah. Um until I don't think that was until GT three probably, right? Yeah, the pl- the PS two had the analog controller. Fully analog. Yeah. Just like uh you know, things to tell your children. Remember I had to use digital controllers. I didn't have these fancy analog controllers to play video games with. Yeah, well. We're not too far removed from our era of video games to current era of video games to tell grandkids about. So yeah, it's um, not uh, it's not that different. Yeah, but now I can't imagine not playing the way you play with for the Forza the uh, Xbox controller to play Forza, where you use right. the the uh, triggers for throttle and brake. Like that makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense, and it's just become the standard because it's every car video game now is like that whether it's forza or wreckfest speaking of which i bought i got wreckfest the other day oh yeah yeah so cool just to go a little off topic there i'll have to play some wreckfest at some point i haven't done much with it yet but i do have it now well speaking of video games i mean if anybody wants to that listens to this also has an xbox live account i am raced in anger and xbox live so they can find me there and currently I don't currently think I have Xbox Live. Yeah. I need to re- reboot that, re-up that, but I'll let it be known when I do. All right. So project or updates, anything? I have European foldable mirrors on the way for the Talon. Excellent. Um, which is pretty Give cool. Give a little bit extra room in the garage. Yeah, and I think they look cool. It changes the look of the car a little bit. Um, bite my style. Bite my style a little bit. Yeah. But they're like, um, it's kind of funny. They're like so different looking than the factory ones on an Eclipse and Talon. They're just kind of like these. They look, they look like a normal car mirror. Yeah. They're like a modern mirror. Yeah. They actually look very similar to the Galant mirror or any current vehicles because they have that same folding style. Right. Whereas the factory U.S. market Eclipse, Talon, laser mirrors are these weird like they almost look like giant versions of the rally mirrors. They just kind of curve oh, around yeah, the yeah. A-pillar. Just a bigger version of that. So not that they're big because they're still tiny when you look at them, but yeah, compared to, compared to modern cars anyway. Well, that's the thing. Cars used to have really cool mirrors that seemed to be integrated into design. And now car yep. mirrors are kind of just giant things. Well, there was an in-between phase because for a long time, a car mirror was always a chrome add-on, you know, yeah. all through the 60s, most of the 70s, and then into the 80s, they started being more integrated into door trim and door moldings and, you know, window trim. Right. And now they've gotten so big because people just apparently need a huge mirror to see all the time. So I don't have any updates. I have a down date, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. What... uh what happened to your yeah. 
your car. You kind of briefly told me. Uh, yeah, well, I was driving to work one day, and uh, I went to change lanes. You know what the problem I'm, is? You shouldn't have been. You shouldn't go to work. If you didn't have a job, yeah. it wouldn't happen. You're right. You're so right. there's your problem right there. Mistake number one was getting a job. Right. So anyway, there was a box truck in front of me, um, and he was driving slower than I desired to drive. And I wanted to go around him, also because he was throwing rocks up in the, my car, and I was trying to minimize you know, damage. Mm-hmm. So as I went around him, I was in between the two lanes, and he swerved to the right all of a sudden but I was looking in my mirror still to make sure I was clear. Um, and then the second I turned around, I just saw that giant full size, completely assembled pallet in the middle of the road. Um, Oh, fun. And I, hit it. yeah, I hit it at like 75 miles an hour. So it's not, it's not pretty. Um, it's wood. It's heavy. It, it made the whole vehicle kind of, I'm sure it didn't leave the ground, but it certainly felt like it did from inside the car. Yeah. Um, and it made a horrifying noise as pieces of wood splintered and broke and chucked up in all the wheels and all four wheel wells and all under the bottom of the car. Um, I haven't had a chance to get under the car yet because I don't have a jack or any kind of lift here at home uh, at the moment. Um, but I did destroy my front bumper and grill. So that's not ideal. I'm sure you made horrifying noises too. Yeah, no, I did. It was not. It wasn't pretty. It's funny because I, I I carried on driving. I was watching like the tire monitoring light, seeing if I had, you know a tire went down or something. I was watching the coolant temperature, um, just to make sure I didn't blow any hoses. I was watching the oil pressure, make sure I didn't lose the oil, and everything seemed okay. So I just carried on to work. And when I got there, I got out of the car and I went under the car as best I could, like looking at everything. Um, and then there were bits of you know splintered wood in all kinds of places but i didn't see any real damage but apparently i had looked too closely it didn't like back up and look at the front bumper oh yeah because <laughs> i missed all that damage on the front bumper so i was like all right i guess i made it out unscathed and then i went to work and did my whole thing and eight and a half la- hours later i came back out and was walking to my car and i was like oh crap because that's quite obvious how much damage there is when you step back and look at it but i think i was still just I was too well amped up when I got there to look at it closely enough. And I was more concerned about mechanical things. Right. That I didn't even notice the damage in the dead center front of the car. So I need a bumper. I need a lower grill. Um, I need the under tray that goes under the front bumper. Um, I may need an intercooler. And I may need an AC condenser. Um, and I know Volkswagens of my generation have plastic radiator supports. So I'm... I won't be surprised if I take it apart and the radio support is also broken. Yeah. So at that point, it's definitely going to be an insurance claim because I don't want to pay that kind of money out of pocket. But the good news is um, that a GTI front bumper conversion costs the same. Hmm. So, and it's a much prettier front bumper than the stock Jetta Sport Wagon is, which a Jetta Sport Wagon is not really a Jetta. It's a Golf. Yeah. Um, and it has the same nose as a base model golf and it's kind of boring looking. Mm-hmm. So the golf GTI conversion set costs about the same as a stock Jetta sport wagon bumper. And it includes the GTI fog lamps as well. Yeah. And so then you could I'll need to wire, but well, they'll have to blend the paint so you can have your fender taken care of. 
Uh, they would not blend the paint on the insurance company because it's a bumper I, to a fender. I know, but you'll. But I can definitely get that. I'll, I'll have that clear coat spot taken care of while yeah, it's being prepared. Yeah, yeah, you'll throw in the extra money for that because it's. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're already mixing so up the paint. Ultimately, that's the as a as an auto body employee, that's the worst phrase. When somebody says, "Why oh. you have the paint out?" Because <laughs> they expect you to fix every little spot in their car for free. Oh, why do you have the paint out? That's, that's not how it works. Um, so yeah, while I have the paint out, I'll have them fix the fender. Um, while, you're, while you're in there. Yeah. So, but now the more I think about it, and I think about this GTI front conversion, and I'm like, well, you know what's going to look weird? What? Is a GTI nose on a stock ride height, stock wheel Jetta. Okay. So. You know what? I think Wouldn't I'm. Clear uh, a packing, a pallet. <laughs> Is a lower jet yeah. wagon. <laughs> Listen, I've been driving though for quite a few years, and uh, in all those years of driving, I've never hit a pallet before. I came close to hitting a ladder one time in my SI, and I made like, and it was like lengthwise in the lane, so it was really hard to yeah. see. And I yeah. luckily missed that in the lowered Civic. So, well, I, I the way I look at it is that you know I've been driving since I was sixteen, and I'm rolling up onto thirty nine now. So that's what, 24 years of driving ish, yeah. 23 years of driving. And I've never hit a pallet before. So, and 99.9 times out of a hundred, you see the object in the road and you avoid it. Yeah, exactly. Sitting still on the road. And this, this was just a perfect storm of, I was changing lanes around a box truck and I didn't see it because the box truck was blocking my view. And I was looking behind for some to make sure I could change lanes. And when the box truck swerved to avoid it, it was just too late. So, that perfect storm of events doesn't happen all the time. So my theory is that a GTI bumper and Jetta wagon will look weird at stock ride height on the 16 inch stock wheels. Okay. Fair enough. So it's, it's a bit of a Pandora's box, but I guess that what I'm trying to say is when I do it, I'll probably have to buy wheels and suspension too. It's not as bad as like, I, I felt bad when my WRX fender liner just evacuated the wheel for some reason. Because right. the person behind me just absolutely annihilated the thing. At least, like, they're kind of soft. But it's a fender liner. It probably didn't do any damage. It's <laughs> a little um, more than a fender liner. Could, but anyway, so if, if I do the GTI nose conversion, um, I had been thinking about getting rid of the car anyway. Um, so maybe that will convince me to keep it and, uh, you know, make it a little more exciting. Yeah. Um, it's a cool daily. And then, so that, that's the other thing. So pallets are, like, both the strongest and weakest thing ever at the same time. Yes. Yeah, so when you hit it, it does damage, but then when you go over it, it explodes into millions of pieces. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking of like all the times I've had to break up pallets from, you know, working in parts departments, getting shipments and throw them in mm-hmm. a dumpster and like, Oh, you don't just you, throw them in the middle of the highway. Yeah. If you so stand on one, down here, if you stand on one, they're like, like they'll just crack under your weight sometimes, but when you go to right. like break it apart, it's almost impossible. Like it's just stapled so ridiculously hard together. You're like, what is going on? Well, that's one of the things I was nervous about because they use so many nails to hold these things together. I was nervous that I would have punctured a tire when I hit it, but yeah, it appears that I did not. So it's well, been two days that, and all the tires have air. So you have that great discount tire out there. So I, I do live legitimately right next to our discount tire. So if I do wake up with a flat tire, it's not a far walk. But anyway, so that's the plan with the Jetta. 
Um, it probably won't get fixed for a while because I do have a $500 deductible. Um, and I do want to make those changes when I do it. So, um, it'll probably wait until after the holidays and after the suspension on the eclipse. Cause yep. those two things are more important. Um, because I do need to get the eclipse ready for the probably to head to the, um, uh, coastal range rally in March. Cool. So, yeah. So I'd rather spend the money to make that car better versus fixing the stupid pallet damage on the Jetta right well, now. So. Well, yeah, do your, at least do your inspection. Go over to our, our friend, Ron, go visit him. See if you can borrow his lift and, uh, make sure everything's okay under it. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm actually, I'm, uh, um, not podcast friend, not po- not podcast guest Jordan, but other Jordan um, is going to be doing a fuel filter for me actually on it. So oh right right right. When we're doing the fuel filter, we'll check the bottom of the car. So and if I don't get a chance to do it there, then yes, I will go visit Ron's lift and we will look at it there. So I'm sure there's something under the car, whether it be a plastic trim somewhere or damage on something. There's definitely something damaged on the car because the amount of force that that car took when it hit that thing was surprising. Mm-hmm surprising it wasn't like hitting you know paper it was it was a pretty yeah. substantial item so it's annoying but i guess it's part of the game when you're driving a car in the public road mm-hmm. so just hope it doesn't happen again that's all it's super annoying. right it's funny well not so funny because i was actually going to drive the eclipse that day Ooh. um well that thing's three miles in the air anyways so it still would have done some damage yeah so so's the jetta though <laughs> It's no, it's no lower, but I'm I'm glad I wasn't driving the Eclipse because that would be more of a pain to find parts for, and I'd have been more annoyed. And just in general, I'm glad it was the Jetta, the sac the sacrificial daily driver, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we have them, I guess. But anyway, that's the negative news. It will turn into positive news eventually, but between the deductible and wanting to change things after the fact, it probably turned into a you know, $1,500 a day. So mm-hmm. it won't be right away. We will get there. But any other news today, Andrew? No, I just, uh, he keeps sending us pictures of Hot Wheels 850s. Yeah. How many are, how many you're up to? That's not an important number right now. Uh, I have uh, found four. I have found four in the wild. I haven't found any around here. Um, but I don't know your, your density of like targets and Walmarts out there is just way higher. So it is. Um, but the problem is, is that the Hot Wheels collecting community out here is strong. Yeah. So we have a store that I took you to last time you were out here that just deals in Hot Wheels cars and like diecast cars in general. Um, so they go to a lot of stores and they hunt all the good stuff all day to resell it for more money, which whatever mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I'm like kind of okay with it and kind of not okay with it. That's yeah. kind of cool to have a place where you can find it and they don't charge a ton more for them. So it's not like, like if they found a Hot Wheels, eight, a, Hot, a Hot Wheels Volvo 850, they wouldn't sell it for like $5. It'd probably be like $1.50 or $2 or whatever. Um, instead of a dollar. But the other thing is, is that we have every Thursday, there's a Hot Wheels collecting event. I found out about where people meet up and trade hello, hot, wheels hello, hot wheels nerds. Yes. 
<laughs> but there's also one every Saturday and one every Sunday. Jeez. Yeah. And I went to one just to see what it was all about. And there were legitimately like 55 people there milling around. So if there's wow. that many people buying these things, that's why I don't usually find things out here. I any of the special stuff, like the we've talked about Hot Wheels cars in the past, but the car cultures and all the other fancy Hot Wheels cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't find them in the wild out here at all. That's the only ones they're, I've been buying is the five dollar ones, but I don't buy them very often anymore. I've I've slowed down to the point where I buy mostly just the car culture cars, um, right? Because they're really nice and they look really good hanging on the wall or whatever. Yeah, um, they're super nice. Unless something comes out like the Volvo eight fifty Hot Wheels car, or I the know. Porsche, Porsche nine forty four Hot Wheels car is really nice. So unless that's the case, but yeah, I've I've found. I have found eight Volvo 850s. So I hope you sent me some. I listen. I can neither confirm nor deny what might be in your Christmas package. So that's that's for you to worry about. about. That's for you to worry about. But you don't have to spread them out. Put it that way. I mean, you can. I you already got your Christmas present for me. So if you want to talk about that, was the T-shirt from Average Squad. Oh yeah, and it's gotten great response as well out here. Um, I don't know what average squads um, uh, physical presence is here in the southwest. Probably not great because they're from Georgia. Um, yeah. But I've wore it to an event here this weekend, um, and everybody, all the car people that were there, were way into it, wondering where I got it, uh, and then very disappointed to find out that they can't get one themselves. No, it's so, limited edition. Yes, it's the uh, the spoof of the Dallas Car Buyers Club. Yeah, the Dallas Dallas Car Buyers Club is that what it is? That name of the, the movie? I don't. I didn't really think it was a spoof of it. I just thought it's just a funny phrase they came up with is "Dumb Car Buyers Club." Anyway, so it's a picture of a wheel on the back and a sign says "Dumb Car Buyers Club," um, and it's a super awesome shirt because if anybody is a dumb car buyer, you're looking at them right here. Oh, it's you. So, oh, it's definitely me. So I, I did have an interaction with a random person out in public while I was wearing it, which is also kind of awkward and weird. It does not normally happen in the T-shirts. <laughs> but I was um, at CVS, and the person behind me said, hey, what kind of car you drive? And I was like, what? What? She's like, well, what kind of car you drive? It's dumb, because my car is smart. And I was like, oh. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, I was like people. Yeah, I was like, oh, I just buy old cars instead of new cars, and my friends all make fun of me. So this T-shirt is fitting as I, I buy dumb cars. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she started telling me all about her um, Scion IQ, which is that is a dumb car. car. Well, no, it's by by definition, it's called the IQ because it's the competitor to the smart car. So that was, yeah, that was her whole, her whole thing. And I almost put down everything I was purchasing and walked out the door without paying for it because I did not want to stand in line any longer. (laughs) So it's both positive and negative with that t-shirt so far. But I feel that's going to be a random thing that doesn't normally happen. It just happened to happen the first time I wore the shirt. So, but yeah, you can't buy a t-shirt anymore, but check out Average Squad. Um, They have a Facebook page. They have, is it a big cartel, I think? Yeah. Yeah. So they have um, some neat stuff. They have some cool stickers, cool t shirts. Um, they're just guys that are just like us that are 
regular dudes into, into cars, but not into like, they don't have Ferraris and Porsches. They have like, you know, 80s and 90s old cars. So. They're just us in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, they're Georgia auto off topic, basically. Yeah. So there's even a guy that looks just like me from a distance. So, yep. <laughs> but yeah, they're cool guys. Check them out and uh, definitely buy their products. Maybe we can push them to make that shirt again because it was definitely a winner. You can get a sticker that says Dumb Car Buyers Club. Oh, do they make it in a sticker? Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'll have to buy some more of those because that's a perfect toolbox sticker. Yep. It reminds me of things we should be doing. So we're going to work on that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's our that's our New Year's resolution is more merch or yeah. any merch. Yeah. Merch Just that to, we have control over rather than the horrible T-shirts that happened last time. Yeah, exactly. Just to... Just to cover costs for equipment and then maybe yeah, some have, gas for events. We have bought a few more things. Yeah. Cover our equipment and maybe some minor trips and stuff. Mm-hmm. That'd be useful. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. I think that's it for me yeah. to, uh, to talk about this week. All right. Sounds good. So as always, follow us on Facebook on Off Topic Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Auto Off Topic. Follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. Uh, you can follow uh, TBI, 5.7 liter, Rally Sport. Wait, what's your so, name? So close, so close. Uh, TSISS350 on Instagram. Um, also, don't forget to look up the Gearhead Project forums. And right. we talked about that last week. And uh, hope to see some of you there. Sounds good. I've seen a couple of people come over. So keep cars analog and aim for the roses.